That's what all this is about. A lot has changed in the past 300 years. People are no longer obsessed with the accumulation of things. We have eliminated hunger, want, the need for possessions. We've grown out of our infancy. Bandwidth for this week's episode of Book Eyes is brought to you by hollowbooks.com, where they create custom-made books where you can hide just about anything. You choose the book, they do the rest. Coming to you live from the USS Discovery, it's the Book Eyes Show, and my name is Paul Alves. And in the hollow suite, I'm Craig Damlo. Hey, Craig, get out of the hollow suite, man. We, we got to beam in our, uh, our guest. Yeah, you want to press those buttons over there? Uh, boop, 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 boop. And joining us, once he's fully materialized, there he is, is the one and only Manu Sadia, author of Treconomics. How are you, Manu? Uh, I'm pretty good. I think I'm all in one piece. <laughs> yeah. So the transporter worked. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing, like, you know, like the pet didn't get in there with you. You know, it's always a bad yeah. thing on Star Trek when, when two things enter at once, right? There was this one episode in Voyager that's called Tuvix, where the two very antagonistic characters end up melded into one. And it, that episode is just eerie. So, yeah. <laughs> I, th- <laughs> um, I think they had a few in, in uh, Enterprise as well. Yeah. Well, see, I, was, I was just going to say, Next Generation, Scotty used it to keep himself alive. It wasn't two at the same time, but he just yeah. looped himself forever. That is true. In relics, in relics, <laughs> right. I, I, you know your canon. I see. <laughs> uh, now it's, it's a. We're talking today, folks, about a nonfiction uh, book that's about a fictional economy in a fictional world, which is Treconomics. Uh, <laughs> and why don't we just jump right into that, Manu? Uh, how did you even start this? How, how was this an idea? Um, this, believe it or not, this is something uh, that had been bouncing around in my head for the longest time since grad school. Uh, this was the kind of stuff we would discuss at night. Um, and then turns out um, my neighbor used to work on Star Trek uh, Enterprise and uh, used to be a writer there. And uh, we're shooting the breeze, having a beer, and we're discussing, okay, so what hasn't been done about Star Trek? That was like about two years ago. And he's like, well, this, that, everything's been written. I'm like, what about the comics? Like, do you know of any book? that's been done about this? And it's like, nope. Because, you know, I mean, the Star Trek writers are usually also scholars of the show. They read everything. And um, <laughs> yeah, so it turns out the economics part, which weirdly enough, I think is the most important, uh, at, at least to me, uh, had not been explored at length. I mean, you know, you have the book, the, the Lawrence Cross book, The Physics of Star Trek, which, uh, Right. is a classic now and it's it's a fantastic book it's it's amazing um there's a book that's called the wrath of kant which is a series of uh, philosophical essays about star trek there's religions of star trek there's you know all the autobiographies of all the cast members and this and that and the other but the economics 
and the discussion of post-scarcity or, you know, I don't know if post-scarcity is the right word, but, you know, abundance and economic, uh, equally distributed social wealth, um, this part, which is very uh, central to the Trek universe, had not been uh, uh, discussed at length or in book length. And so I decided to do it. I, I do have some background in economics, so, I mean, namely economic history. And so that's the kind of stuff, you know, pretty familiar with and so I figured might as well do it now, maybe we and should, so uh, I did maybe we should uh, spell out for some of the you know uh, maybe the, 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 the what we call them fi filthy casuals <laughs> the people who aren't <laughs> uh, you know hardcore uh, trekkers or trekkies or whatever they call themselves nowadays trekkers uh, uh, trekkers, trekkers. trekkers it's trekkers now that's right uh, <laughs> yes but, but this is well, a, there's, a, there's a history to that we, we can get into it it's fairly nerdy sure. but there's a history to the word trekkie and it's kind of sexist, and so people prefer to say oh. trekkers. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. So, so yeah. So for, for the p folks who aren't uh, really into uh, Star Trek, like some of us might be, uh, let's maybe explain that uh, on the show it's shown uh, to be a, a utopia for the average person. Um, yes. You know, there, there's there's no want, no need. There's no homeless. There's everyone has enough as much food as they want. Comes right out of machine in their wall. But, uh, yes. but it's not a freeloading society. It's more based on jobs, is it not? Well, it's interesting because there is very little freeloading, as you would see in the show. Uh, every material need is taken care of. Hmm. However, people seem to be extremely busy all the time. Um, so let's just say that it presents the viewer, it has this very sunny view of um, human behavior under um, conditions of post-scarcity, whereby instead of, you know, uh, um, lounging and scrounging, uh, you know, instead of spending all their time on the rise of the pleasure planet, they actually do interesting things. Uh, the idea behind it is that once material needs are taken care of because society has become so wealthy, it won't lead people to sloth. And, uh, you know, like you could see in, say, uh, Wall-E, the, the Pixar movie, you know, where, where they're all like yes, these yes. fat people. <laughs> on... It's the polar opposite of Star yes. Trek, is it not? Yes. It's the uh, dystopian. And it was very clearly a discussion of that, or it was clearly, at least to me, I think it was very much in dialogue with Star Trek. Um, and, and it, you know, it, it presents uh, Wally compared to Star Trek, I mean, things that um, the kind of behaviors that you see in Wally, where people basically do nothing and get fat, um, Star Trek believes at least, or seems to propose that this is not how it's going to turn out. There will be more interesting challenges and more things to do uh and that people will not be uh you know yeah freeloading uh if the basic needs are taken care of that's the that's that's the optimistic view uh behind that there is a theory that i think is is quite um i, I wouldn't say optimistic but it's not necessarily false uh it's hard to decide whether it's true or not because it has never happened but um the idea that uh 
human behavior once uh, uh, liberated from the obligation and necessity to work uh, for survival, uh, motives and motivations and desires will be redirected to a higher end, um, like exploration, like being the captain of a starship or... Yeah. You know, so become the captain of a scar of a starship instead of becoming the captain uh, captain of industry. But you, you uh, also I see. Think, sorry, I, go ahead, Greg. I was going to say I think there's there's uh, a good basis for that when you look at people that vacation, right? Yeah. If you vacation, and if you have a long enough vacation, I mean, even even a short vacation like a week, yeah, you'll lay on the beach and do nothing for a day or two. But then you start looking for something else to do. You're looking for that hike. You're looking to catch that perfect wave. You're trying to better yourself in some way, even in these short examples. I I, I agree. I also I I have a kid. Uh, he's very smart. Um, and when I look at my kid, I think you know this is the kind of situation that for kids that very much look like Star Trek, where their needs are taken by their parents. Hopefully, uh, <laughs> and they're oblivious. To, no, no. But I mean, you know, it's it, it, you know, I live in the United States, and unfortunately, I think you know, twenty percent of children in the United States live in poverty. So, uh, it's an issue, and poverty has terrible effects on the brain. Um, but in situations where you're fairly middle class and you take care of your kid, the kid is uh, free to explore and learn and. Uh, get into you know all these asinine battles with his friends and all that, but um, the basic necessities are, are 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 covered, and the kid doesn't have to work for them, and like, and and they grow that way. I mean that that's I, I love to. I mean the vacation example is perfect, and I think the kid example is also interesting in that respect. Um, there's something very playful about not having to scrounge for a living and trying to figure out what's the meaning of your life. It opens up right. uh, a lot of your free time, right? I mean, you, uh, yeah. Uh, let's exactly. say someone uh, lower middle class who had to, you know, take that part-time job that took mm -hmm. up another three, four hours a day, instead had that time free and invents, yes. you know, the, the latest and greatest uh, gadget because of it. Like how, how or many make art or uh, yeah. you know reads? Um, you know, it reminds me a lot of um, and. I, what Star Trek describes reminds me a lot of what you can read in Marcuse, for instance, or, you know, earlier even, uh, uh, Paul Lafarge, so, you know, uh, Eloge de la Paresse. Uh, your, your, your French is coming through there. <laughs> yeah, <I'm sorry. laughs> no, no, I, it, so, you know, it's, it's something about the, the, the leisure and the free time and freeing space for free play of imagination. Um, I mean, that's the ideal. And, and what's interesting is that in, in the series itself, it's a bunch of dudes and dudettes on, on a starship. Right. Uh, and they have ranks and all that. And and there's some, I, I always think that the, the crew and what you see on the show in the end, they're kind of the misfits of that society. They're the ones who want to go out there and you know put themselves in danger and at risk. They're the ones who like the uniforms and the ranks and all that stuff. They're, they're a little sociopathic. And it's great because they have an outlet for that and it's Starfleet and they go on their ships and their missions. Most of the people in the Federation, the 99% of the Federation that you don't see on the show, they couldn't care less about this. Right. 
I uh, always knew Picard was part of the one percent. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I, I would assume as a starship captain, yeah. The, I mean, people are still competing with each other, and it's for position. Oh, yeah. But but uh, you know, to fill those little jobs, like the guy who's who's scrubbing the Jeffries tubes. He's not yes. doing it because he needs to put food, as, as George no. Bush said. He doesn't have to put food on his family. You know, he's... he's uh, Dude, if you're scrounging the Jeffrey's tube on the uh, tubes on the flagship, you get it, mate. Yeah, that's, I mean, that, but but that might be a requirement, right? Like, yeah, like scrubbing the... Uh, or, or even mopping the floors at, you know, uh, yeah. Starship uh, well, Federation headquarters. They, they have Roombas. You know, <laughs> I mean, I mean, every crappy job that they have to do in that future, yes. they they have to tie yeah, it into yeah. uh, some kind of career path, right? Because no one's going to do it. Because they you got remember that episode, food comes out of the wall, tapestry? right? Right. You remember so, tapestry where uh, Picard is uh, cute, uh, uh, saves Picard and gives him. You know, Picard has this opportunity to live his life without risk, and he ends up as a drab astronomy cartographer on the enterprise instead of being the captain. Doesn't he play the flute as well? Right. That's the Yeah. (laughs) He becomes a flautist in his spare time. That is low. (laughs) (laughs) But but, uh, uh, we also get a glimpse of like Picard's family where we meet, I believe it's his his sister who, who runs a vineyard. No, it's his, his brother. Uh, oh, it's his brother. His yes, brother. yes, yes. His brother runs the vineyard. And you can, you know, robots probably plant and pick all and create all the, you know, the, the oh, millions of oh, gallons wait, 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 of wine. Wait, wait. No, 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 no. That's the thing. Um, it's actually done manually because this is tradition. This is this is the handmade. Oh, this, it's yeah. extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. This is the last thing that's scarce in that society. It's the artisanship. Right. It's the handmade. It's the authentic. The point of Chateau Picard, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's being made the old-fashioned way, and there are very few bottles, uh, and it's very hard to get. But see, that's so, the thing, but how, how do you purchase that hard well, you to don't. get? You know, that's can you, you just don't. walk up, drive up to the Picard, uh, you know, farm, and Take a couple I, I, cases guess, of wine. I guess you can, but you're probably busy with other things. There's this thing called local non-satiation. It's a, it's right. a barbaric term, but that says that any good of real value in such a society can be replaced by any other good with equal value. So if you cannot score a Chateau Picard this year, you might probably be able to score, you know, some blood wine from Mog's estate. Right. Okay. So so there's there's still some kind of barter uh, economy in the background of the Federation. Is that what we're saying here? There might be. It's hard to say. I would say my sense, and again, you know, I extrapolate from what I see on the show, um, and it's extremely nerdy, I'm sorry. But because of local non-satiation, the fact that you cannot score the item you really want doesn't matter as much because you can find something of equal value for the same price, which is zero. Right. It's always zero. There, there's uh, probably a Picard wine setting on the replicator. It's not as good as the real thing, but exactly you could still get it. Well, yeah, and it's not going to be alcoholic, most likely. Right. <laughs> um, that episode, family in particular, yeah. is, is a marvelous episode because you have this discussion at night, you know, at the dinner table in France, you know, in the vineyard, and and they're discussing their new replicator because they installed a replicator or they're discussing getting a replicator for their house. Well, the, the old because one was right breaking now, down though. I mean, they had to get a new one, right? Yeah, and they're like, you know, um, do we, you know, the soup that's made, you know, like we make our own soup and we make our own food and it's so much better than the replicator. And there's a lot of that. The replicator is there to provide 
um, the basics, but the, the uniqueness of the handmade of the food, for instance, is, is a recurring theme uh, in Star Trek. Uh, I mean, you know, in Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. The replicator is very useful, but it does not provide the unique taste of you know the the food that you grow yourself and that is something that is highly valued um by by the the various captains and dwellers on space stations and and uh starships so there's still something of value there that's why i don't want to call it a post-scarcity society in that sense because there are some things that are scarce and right. and they're on the level of experience and they're it's experiential um and that is something that is hard to replace uh, or, or to generate. I mean, you can you can probably generate some of it in the holodeck, but uh, some stuff is, is still very hard to come by. Um, but that being said, you know, like the key here is the replicator. It's it's a public good, and that's that's really what forms the base. It's not so much the technology. The replicator, when you when you think about it, the replicator has very little impact on the stories that are told. Right. I think there's only one episode where the replicator is kind of central to the story. Uh, it's the one with the exocomps, the self-replicating little robots. Um, the, the replicator itself is just the signifier. It's just there to say, look, automation, this is the final step in, in, in automation and in the industrial revolution. You ask, it makes. There is no intermediary, there is no weight, there is no uh, there is no payment either, right. uh, and the federal and, and you'll notice the Ferengis. They also have replicators. You see them on Deep Space Nine, but they make you pay for it. Right. <laughs> um, so what that tells us is that the Federation has decided, has made the political decision to let the replicators be used as public goods, so as public services. The same way you know the GPS is a public good right. today. Uh, everybody has access to it. Uh, and public good is a, is a very specific economic term. It means that it's non-rival and non-excludable, meaning you cannot exclude people from using it by putting a toll on it. Right. Uh, and you cannot, and me using it does not prevent somebody else from using it at the same time. Um, the knowledge is non-rival and non-excludable most of the time. Uh, Wikipedia is non-rival and non-excludable. Uh, the atmosphere is non-rival and non-excludable, and public goods creates all sorts of other problems, the second-order problems that, you know, collective action and what uh, was termed once the tragedy of the commons, so overconsumption of public goods um, by the community because there's no restriction on the use. Uh, so, so, but that, that's a little separate. So I, I touch upon this in the book. There's a whole chapter on that, on negative externalities. But without getting too technical, the point here is that what we call post-scarcity in Star Trek, so the replicators, uh, the full automation, um, is, is a public service. And it's, it's a political decision. And I think that's uh, the central thesis or the central uh, or the key point about next generation and Deep Space Nine. There are no replicators before next generation. Um, and that makes it very strange because suddenly uh, people are freed from the necessity to work and from most market activities. There are probably still some market activities in uh, the next generation. You, you see it every once in a while. But for the most part, 
life uh, in the Federation has escaped the grip of market transactions. Uh, and putting that stuff on TV in the late 80s I'm, I'm, I'm going to be, it's, it's been crazy. Sorry, yeah. pardon my French, but no it worries. is crazy. It was never done and it will never be done ever again. Um, because I, it's not even, you know, I'm not even saying it's socialist or this or that because it, it, it's not really the issue. But it's so um, radical in its depiction of society and in its depiction of the consequences on people's behavior it is so radical so, that i don't i don't think you can go much further than that i, I just want to i want to interject Sorry, and ask a question because you're getting a lot of good information and you and but is your book how accessible is your book to people that don't have a background in economics oh well uh it was <laughs> the, the manuscript was extremely wonky <laughs> but the the final version after much much editing this is a book that is written for the general public. I explain all these concepts um, for those who are not familiar with them. And for those who are familiar with them, well, they already know them and you know, there's no need to explain. Uh, I mean, it's, it's um, yeah, it's, it's not a, this, this is a general, hopefully entertaining book uh, about very serious things but done in an entertaining fashion. In a way, it, it tries to be a little bit like Star Trek as well. Uh, I, you know, it, it, it's, it, Star Trek, you think it's about space and space battles and aliens? Eh, not really. And so you think the book is about Star Trek and all that? Yeah, but not really. Um, and it's, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I've been told by various readers that it was perfectly digestible. The, the funniest part was, um, the, the feedback I got from professional economists was that, oh, God, you know, you're dumbing it down. Um, they, they, they were not necessarily all that enthused uh, by my vulgarization of economics. <laughs> but uh, um, I, 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 dude, I, I get notes from Paul Krugman himself uh, who, who uh, who, who get me to change a bunch of stuff. So <laughs> that, that, that moment when that happens is pretty funny. Um, yeah, so, so it, is, um, it, is a, a, it is a book that tries to bring it to everybody because I think it's very important. Economics is the plumbing of our society and we should all know a little bit of plumbing because right. we need to know how to fix the water. Uh, and we need to know where the water comes from because when we don't, don't know, you know, they put it ends up like Flint, Michigan. Um, so, so there's 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 a you know the, the higher uh, design behind the book is to to be of some sort of public service. Uh, uh, it, it, probably, if you at the end of the book, you'll know if you don't know anything about economics, you will hopefully have been entertained, and at the same time, you will have learned. A bunch of important stuff about how the world actually works. Now, I, uh, I know Treknomics is available now on on Amazon. It has been for a while, but you have an uh, Audible audiobook yes. version coming. That that's exciting. Yes, uh, they finished recording it like a couple of weeks ago, and uh, last I checked, it will be up. Uh, it, it is uh, up for pre-order right now, and it will be released worldwide on Audible.com. Uh, on August 16th. 
Oh, so, fantastic. And you know, our, our listeners can even get it for free by going to audibletrial.com slash book guys. Be a good one to, to pick as your first uh, audiobook. It's it's the the voice actor who did it is a very nice gentleman and he is a fantastic reader. Uh, his name is Oliver Wyman. So I just wanted to nice. thank him. Nice. Um, so that's, that's uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I did Star Trek, I'm, I'm a Trekkie, or I'm a Trekker, and uh, uh, so part of the book is also my love letter to Star Trek. My, right. uh, it, it's been a very important part of my life, uh, and it's something that I grew up with and that has uh, fed me throughout. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I wanted to give back to that amazing community of fans as well. Uh, the Star Trek fandom is, is something very special. Um, now, I learned, I learned today that, that uh, your book, uh, is, it was an, an Inkshares. Yes. Oh, we, there's that too. Yeah, because um, uh, we, we're going to have an Inkshares episode in, in, the, in the near future. Maybe you, you can join us for that as well. But um, tell us a bit about that, about crowd, uh, crowdfunding the Trekonomics. Um, well, the, 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 so this all came about uh, because I sent a bunch of chapters when I was writing to my friend Felix Salmon, who's a senior editor at Fusion and is a somewhat famous financial journalist, because I wanted to have a professional opinion on what to do with it. Uh, and I thought, well, Felix is probably the right person to read it. And so he was like, oh, Emmanuel, you should, you should publish this. So I was like, yeah, okay. Because um, I, originally, like, I did not write this with any sort of uh, plan in mind it was more for myself and so he, he, he knew the people at Inkshares and so we sort of decided that would be a fun thing to do for a book about Star Trek to crowdfund it it kind of makes sense it was a funny story to tell about the book so that's what we did um, and then you know you have the, the Inkshares work like this you have the crowdfunding period and then you know after you reached your goal and crowdfunded your thousand books, um, we go into editing and we create the cover and uh, marketing and all that. And that's that's how it went. It was very, it was a very smooth uh, process. Nice. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, editing was horrible. Obviously, it always is. Editing's always horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's no way around it. So yeah, that, I mean, besides that and that, you know uncomfortable stage and uh, and finding typos even after the book has been released hopefully there are I think there are a couple but that's it you know um, other than that you know in the general sense at the end of the you know feeling like like a squeezed lemon at the end of the process but I think everybody <laughs> experiences that um, after that yeah I mean it's all good um, uh, Inkshares is, is an interesting way of publishing it um, I uh, I, I don't know if it's for everybody and for every type of book. Um, I don't know if uh, nonfiction is really the, uh, or I don't know, Inkshare seems to be uh, really big on, you know, big fiction and right. science fiction and fantasy and all that. So I'm, I'm kind of an outlier in there, um, you know, in the, their portfolio of authors and properties. Um, yeah, but I mean, you know, it's 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 a nice way to get yourself out there and get the word out. I mean, if anything, that's that's uh, very uh, useful in that sense because you, you start the marketing of the book very early. And as I discovered, um, you know, 
writing a book is is the most fun. Marketing a book is a job in and of in, in itself, and uh, uh, the book won't sell if you don't market it. Uh, and so, you know, it's not just a matter of like putting it out there. It's uh, there actually you have to go get every reader um, almost. So there, there's the sense that you know, I mean, like, lots of valuable lessons about uh, being a public face and a published author, which you know. I did not expect, but I've learned a lot. And here you um, are. <laughs> so, yeah, and here I am. Yeah. So, um, so man, we're going to take a, a quick break. We're going to uh, keep talking some Treconomics when we get back. Um, but uh, tell the folks where they can find you right now online, on the internets. Uh, well, uh, I'm, I, I hang out a lot on Twitter, at Treconomics. And uh, I created a robot, a Twitter robot. So it's the Treconomics bot. So both Twitter and there, there's a, a Facebook page for the book. Um, there's a Tumblr, and in general, yeah. But like the Twitter is, I, I really like Twitter. Uh, that, that's that's really where I exist online. Me and you can DM me, and you can meet me, and I respond to every message, and I'm very diligent with this. Very nice. We'll be right back. Hello, the book guys. This is Alex from the Alex Cast. I am here to tell you within the bounds of 30 seconds that people should listen to my show as well as yours. Here is one reason. I have written two books. There is a word in your title, book. So we got that going. So go to alexcast.com and give it a listen or iTunes or Stitcher and wherever the hell else you get stuff. The same thing you probably tell your audience. You can find it on alexcast.com. Alex is always spelled with two X's. Thanks. The Fantastic Arts is your guide to the Fantastic Four from the beginning of the Marvel Age of Comics in 1961 onwards. Each week, Steve Lacey and Andy Leyland cover every issue, spin-off, guest appearance and cameo, and more. And in 2015, we begin our journey through the decade that tastes forgot the 1970s. Join us as we take a look at... The departure of Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. The Kree Skrull War. The arrival of Marvel Team-Up. Bill Murray as the Human Torch. Creators including Roy Thomas, George Perez, Marv Wolfman, Jerry Conway, Rich Buckler and John Byrne. And of course, Marvel 2-in-1. All this and more at ffcast.libsyn.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. Insert catchy tagline here. Wait, what? And we're back to talk more Treconomics and some podcasts. Mr. Craig, you have any uh, podcasts fitting with our theme, I guess? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with the theme, and it's one uh, I don't listen to a lot but I, I i like it and i i catch it when i can it's the uh econ talk from the uh, library of economics and liberty at the stanford hoover institute or something oh, like that oh i know these people <laughs> <laughs> they're and, libertarians we <laughs> right the host russ roberts is a uh, dyed in the wool libertarian uh if that's a thing um, but he does a, he does he interviews equally uh, right left middle uh, up down um, but it's always it's always tied to economics in some way and and I actually think his 
the podcast makes economics uh, accessible. Uh, I, I haven't. I've run into very few episodes where I just fall over asleep because they lost me. If I may say, my my favorite economics podcast is um, the Free Economics Show. Yes, yes, I, another good I enjoy one. that podcast. Uh, oh, I enjoyed the book too, but uh, the podcast I think is uh, is fantastic. Free Economics. Uh, I I should be on it at some point. I taped for it, so I will be on it at some point in the next three four weeks. Oh, nice! Looking uh, forward to that. No, perfect I mean, plug. Well, I mean, <laughs> um, it, it, it's sort of a, yeah, it falls right into the thing. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah. But, but Econ Talk is good. Econ Talk is good. No, no, he's, he's, he's good. It's just, I, I sometimes, I, I, see, I'm French. I grew up in France. I don't understand <laughs> how grown men take Ayn Rand seriously. That's or Murray Rothbard or whatever. Like, I don't, it's, it's, you have to, libertarianism is a, really american thing and it's like football it doesn't export itself like i mean except in canada i guess um <laughs> no i mean well, seriously even the canadians <laughs> canadians screw it up and don't play football correctly well they make it nice right uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah and i mean it, they, i you know this is something that always baffled me about the united states is that there is this sort of homegrown thing about libertarianism um I remember reading Robert Heinlein when I was a kid, you know, and there's, there's a, the moon is a harsh mistress, which, you know, sort of libertarian fantasy of founding a colony in space with the right laws and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I'm like, why, what is this guy so angry about? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a very, uh, seen from outside and as an outsider, I, I, this is the part of America that I will never understand. And, um, you know, yeah, libertarianism well, is something weird. <laughs> Sorry. That no, no, that's fine. It's someone, I go to France a lot, and, and I mean, it's, it's some, some of the things that the French do baffle <laughs> my mind. Like, uh, I don't know if you saw today, and maybe we don't want to get too political, but the banning of the... Uh, Muslim oh. women swimsuits. Oh, oh, uh, no, you know it's Trumpism without Trump. Uh, that's what that's what it is. Yeah, it's some local yokel mayor. It's just you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, France. They they have a problem with their former colonial population, and uh, it's going to take so. a while. Yes, it's going to take a while to figure out. It's it's still the same thing ongoing. It's been there. For, I mean, myself, you know, my my father's from Israel, but I have an Arabic Arabic name. Jew, you know, it's Jewish Arabic. Um, <laughs> no, I mean it's an Arabic word. Saudia means yeah. like the help of God, and in, in Arabic. Uh, when I was growing up, I ran into a lot of problems. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's oh, what's that name? It's not from here. You know, that's the French. Yeah, but you know, as we are discovering right now, um, the United States itself has, it seems to have a wellspring of ethno-nationalist. Um, you know, that's like thirty percent of the population will vote for that crazy guy. Was, yeah. Anyhow, it's a, we're very far from Star Trek, and <laughs> my head really hurts. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll bring us back. I'll bring us back. Uh, <laughs> Please. Please. One, one thing. One thing. No matter uh, what your political affiliation is, uh, more more Star Trek, the better, right? 
I, I would think so. <laughs> Although, again, you know the funny part? So Brian Fuller, the showrunner of the new show, uh, comes out and says, well, you know, we'll have a female lead for the new show, Discovery, and uh, we'll have a gay character. And oh. suddenly, like, there's this outpouring of outrage on Facebook. Oh, we got about... we got to talk about that after in the... Yeah. No, but I mean, you know, so, so even among some Star Trek fans, uh, there are people who see the homosexual agenda at play and uh, are very furious about it. I don't understand. It's, it, it baffles me. It, I still it, love I love that phrase, the homosexual agenda. Like they've yeah. really all gotten together and said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, 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 when, I tell that to, to, when I say that to my gay friends, they're like, oh, God. Anyhow. Yes. <laughs> Anyway. So, so I've got a podcast. It's uh, Star Trek Outposts. I don't know if you've uh, listened to this before, Manu. Oh no, I don't know. There, that. there are. I, I listen uh, to a lot of Trek podcasts, but there that, are that many, one? many episodes. Uh, I believe there are up to like in their seventy or so plus episodes. Oh my god! It's an uh, audio drama done by uh, Giant Gnome Productions. Oh, that okay? Yes, okay, yes. Okay. I'm gonna Tell play a, a short clip for the listeners at home. Um, I mean, uh, just, just so we can get our fix until that new uh, CBS show is out. You could go mm -hmm. binge on this. Check it out. Welcome to the world of Giant Gnome Productions. Find out more online at giantgnome.com. And now, our feature presentation. Previously on Star Trek Outpost, Captain Buchanan of Deep Space Three has started to engage with his crew in a manner that is uncharacteristic of him. Sorry I was delayed, Captain Buchanan, but I... Don't let it bother you, Commander Forrestal. You're here now, and that's all that matters. Thank you, sir. Raising concerns among his senior staff. That was... strange. You can say that again. Dr. Bratal? Yes, Commander? Is he okay? He didn't seem quite himself. He no. didn't seem quite himself. So as you can see there, from the, there's pretty good production value they put in this. A great, oh, wow. great uh, audio... Uh, narrators and actors that uh, do all the different parts. Uh, the sound uh, design sound is great. fantastic. Yeah, they do ship battles and everything, and you can really tell what's going on, and just great uh, effort put into this. So it's, it's, it's a, fanfic, drama, on the uh, on podcast. Yeah, and, and, it, and it's about, a, it's kind of like a, uh, if Deep Space Nine was set out even further and more cut off from Federation, that's, that's basically the setup for... Uh, for the outpost, they're they're right on the front, the final frontier, as they say. I'm gonna check that tonight. Oh my god, That's fantastic! Awesome. Hey, we Thanks. Got, I got one more, and you've been on this show uh, before, Manu. Uh, Geek's Guide to the Galaxy with David oh, Barr Kirtley. Yes. Dave, Dave's uh, a good friend. Dave is fantastic. Nice. Yeah, we had I had a nice chat with him, uh, and of course, uh, Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is brought to you by Wired.com. Uh, I'm going to play a, a couple of clips and the interview with uh, David uh, right about now. Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. 
And we are joined by David Barkertley. How are you doing, sir? I'm good, good. Thanks so much for having me. And t- tell us a little bit about your podcast, my friend. Okay, so my podcast is called Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. It's a weekly podcast that appears on Wired.com. And it's a show for science fiction fans. I co-founded it with my best friend, John Joseph Adams, who's a science fiction book editor. And he's still our producer. He doesn't have time to appear so much on the podcast anymore. But we both got to know each other because we both love fantasy and science fiction. And I'm a writer as well, you know, fantasy and science fiction writer. And so we know a lot of authors and we talk about a lot of books and have our author friends come on to review movies and TV shows and video games. And we talk to the people who make those things and just anyone that we think would be of interest to science fiction fans. We like to get on the show and talk to. It's an hour long show, so we get really long, in-depth discussions. And I read all the books, so I like to I pride myself on asking really detailed questions and really getting to know the authors in a way that they don't often get asked on uh, on just your typical interviews. Yeah, uh, that's the, you know, not reading the book, that's the classic, uh, you know, the mainstream media interview where, you know, they've, they've got five questions prepared and they don't, they haven't read the book and it really shows through on your podcast that you know what you're talking about. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, thanks. No, I really think it's important to actually read the book so you can ask specific questions and not just ask, you know, where do you get your ideas or how'd you get interested in writing or why do you write science fiction? I mean, people have been asked those questions a million times and I really want to ask them more detailed, specific questions. Uh, Wired.com is... is, is uh... Yep, yep, that's right. Yeah, so we've been on Wired.com for about five years now. Uh, so yeah, every week our posts appear on Wired.com, so that's really exciting to have that kind of a, uh, a platform to, to get our show out there. Yeah, exciting. And I got I to gotta ask you, since we're, we're doing a Star Trek episode, well, I got to ask you, what's your favorite episode of the original series? Oh boy, let's see. You know, I, I haven't watched the original series for a long time since I was a kid. I mean, I, I actually, you know, since um, oh, go, boy, there's there's a lot of good. I mean, I just you know since uh, start when we reviewed Star Trek Into Darkness, I went back and watched uh, Space Seed. You know, where the Khan character is introduced. I really thought that was a, uh, an excellent episode. I, I've always honestly been partial to the kind of wacky episodes, like where they end up in Alice in Wonderland, or right. uh, you know, where they they. Um, there's the religion based on, uh, you know, the mafia, um, and um, you know where they just they, the episode starts out and Abraham Lincoln is floating in space, right? And uh, <laughs> yeah. I, that's that's why I, I'm sort of partial to the original series for that reason because it's it's a little bit more of a Twilight Zone anthology type show where right. just any kind of crazy idea could show up from episode to episode, and that's really what draws me to science fiction is exploring these weird ideas that I'd never thought of before. Yeah, and it shows through on your podcast. I mean, you've got some great, great guests. Uh, I was, I started recently listening, and I, I, I uh, listened to the one with the gentleman who is the author of Treconomics. Yeah, yeah, uh, Manu Sadia. Yes, it? Manu Sadia. Yes, and uh, yeah, that that one. And I started going back, and uh, there's some great episodes. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, I was just in, uh, interviewed for another podcast uh, a day or so ago, and and that person had also discovered the podcast through that. Treconomics episode, so I think uh, I think that one's reached out beyond our, you know, our usual listeners and you know uh, is is excited people. So uh, I, I thought Manu uh, was really, really it was a really, really intelligent book, and he was a really fun person to talk to. I actually hung out with him after uh, that interview in New York, but uh, yeah, no, I'm really glad you liked it. Oh, and is that where you're based? You're in you're in New York City. I, I live, yeah, I live just outside the city, but I spend a lot of time in, in New York City. I have a girlfriend that lives in the city, and most of my friends are people who are somehow involved in science fiction or publishing or media or something, and, and so we mostly hang out in, in the city. 
Very nice. Very nice. Now tell us, David, where can folks uh, find your podcast and all your writings and, and doings? Yeah, well, so there's a website for the podcast that's at geeksguideshow.com. And, you know, all the episodes, you can download them all for free. And I mentioned I also write fantasy and science fiction short stories. I've published about 30 in different magazines and anthologies. And the podcast has kind of taken over my life in recent years. So I haven't really written any fiction recently. But all my stories are available to read for free on my website at davidbarkertley.com. Uh, my last name is Kirtley, K-I-R-T-L-E-Y. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd really appreciate it. <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd be grateful if people would, uh, would read some of those because I worked really hard on them. Absolutely, and and maybe we'll have you back on the the show proper to talk about all your uh, your writings. Oh no, that would be great. Yeah, sure. That'd be great. I'd be happy to. Thanks for joining us today, David. Oh yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, yeah he, he gets some great guests on on to that show. He's amazing. He's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So check it out: the Geek's Guide to the Galaxy with David Barkertley. Fantastic. Um, Craig, I know you had. Do we want to do a film and television? Some uh, talk about the new series, or do we want to talk some books next? It's all up to you guys. Um. <laughs> let's let's uh, let's throw the uh, books in there. Yeah, let's do that then. You've got. Uh, I think we both have science fiction. Right, right. I think they're both science fiction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, so I've got, uh, I'm reading right now, I'm continuing my uh, journey through Arthur C. Clarke, and uh, I've moved on to Islands in the Sky, which is one of his uh, early uh, books, stories, uh, from 1952, and it's about a kid that wins a, he's on a game show, which I loved how accurate it, it is even still today, but kid on a game show, and he wins a trip anywhere he wants in the world, and through some legal uh guidance from his uncle they realize that the lowest orbiting saddle or the lowest orbiting space station is defined legally as on earth nice and so he forces <laughs> them to send him there and that's where it kind of starts and then uh it i haven't gotten he's I'm not that far into it. I'm about a third of the way, so I don't know where it goes from there. But the uh, you know the tagline from the book is that he becomes part of the crew and moves on from there. So uh, it's very interesting. It's it's interesting the way this book in particular from from Arthur C. Clarke is very technical in the way he describes stuff and not as emotional as some of his other books. Wow! Yeah, it's a, the early hard science fiction. Yeah, right. and the short format, because I'm looking at the unabridged on Audible, and it's uh, five hours and 32 minutes. Yeah, it's only like 190 pages. It's a pretty mm. short book. Yeah, looks like a good read. Do you want to play a sample from that? or? Yeah, yeah, let's play it. Play a quick sample. You kind of hear it in this, this sample, manual. We, we want to hear what it, it yeah. is. And this is narrated by uh, Charles Carroll, and uh, this one was produced in 2012. Congratulations, Roy, said Elmer heartily, shaking my hand. Almost a perfect score. You missed only one question. I have great pleasure in announcing you as the winner of the World Airways Contest. As you know, the prize is a trip, all expenses paid, to any place in the world. We're all interested to hear your choice. What is it going to be? You can go anywhere you like between the North and South Poles. My lips went kind of dry. Though I'd made all my plans weeks ago, it was different now that the time had actually come. 
I felt awfully lonely in that huge studio, with everyone around me so quiet and waiting for what I was going to say. My voice sounded a long way off when I answered, I want to go to the inner station. And that, I guess that's the point there where he kind of drops the bomb on him. <laughs> yeah, right. and, and I think what's interesting from, uh, from Manu's point here, that this Arthur C. Clarke in this book is we're exploring planets, we're traveling between mm. the planets and the stars, and yet it's still a very traditional uh, yeah. economy, Earth-based economy of where, you know, not everybody has the money to do whatever they want, and, you know, there's the rich, there's the poor. It's a little bit better than it is today, but there's it's not a, but not a utopian know, society yet. Interestingly enough, Clark in his later works... Um, really tried to work out what a post-scarcity economy would look like and it's you know like uh, rendezvous with Rama and places like that the technology technological progress has lifted up everybody out of poverty and things like that I mean it's a Clark is a is a fascinating writer fascinating right yeah I, I, I mean, and you know the between 1940 and 1960 you have all these bubbling up of Science fiction, uh, Clark is definitely one of the masters. Absolutely. Uh, I, got, I got one pick, and, and this is actually, I don't think I've ever uh, talked about a book twice on, on this show, but uh, this is going back 133 episodes. So I think it's safe to say that <laughs> some people may not have, uh, may not have uh, heard me talk about it the first time, but uh, I had so much fun reading uh, William Shatner's Up Till Now. Uh, you know, I know Trekkers are, uh, uh, there's always a debate of, uh, you know, after one of these biographies comes out about what was true, what wasn't. But you know what, even if half the stories in, in William Shatner's uh, up till now are true, it, it's still worth a good read. Um, and, and it starts off him talking about his time with uh, Coco the Gorilla. Uh, it, it's And this is one of those times where Audible did pick the right clip uh, to, to put as the, uh, the audio sample. So uh, give it a listen. Have you have you read this one, Craig? No, no, I haven't. Yeah, it, it's from uh, 2011. But uh, check this out. Macmillan Audio presents "Up Till Now," the autobiography by William Shatner, with David Fisher. Read for you by William Shatner. This is chapter one. I was going to begin my autobiography this way. Call me Captain James T. Kirk or Sergeant T.J. Hooker or Denny Crane, Denny Crane, or Twilight Zone plane passenger Bob Wilson or the Big Giant Head or Henry V or the Priceline Negotiator or... Well, that's the problem, isn't it? I've been a working actor for more than a half a century and I've played so many different roles on the stage on television and the movies, that it would be impossible to focus on just one of them. Besides, my career as an actor is only part of my story, so I realized I couldn't begin this book that way. Then I decided I was going to start this book by telling the story of my memorable meeting with Coco the Gorilla. In 1988, to help the Gorilla Foundation encourage Californians to contribute to its endangered species campaign, I was permitted to visit Coco the gorilla in her quarters. Coco was an extraordinary animal who had learned to communicate with human beings. She was able to sign more than 600 words, but
But more impressively, as her handlers told me, she understood the meaning of those words. She knew the signs for water and for bird, and the first time she saw a duck landing on a lake, she signed water bird. That displayed a synthesis of knowledge. So you see, she was obviously very intelligent. I was allowed to go into her compound to enter a room with her all alone. As I walked into that room, I was reminded that she was an imposing, powerful animal. Smaller gorillas have been known to tear off men's arms in anger. I'm not often afraid, but truthfully, I was frightened. There's a form of acting that teaches, feel it and say it, and that feeling will be revealed through your words. The English form is quite different. Say it, and then you feel it. To deal with my fear of this magnificent animal, as I got closer and closer to her, I found myself saying, I love you, Coco, I love you. I said it earnestly and honestly, and I looked directly in her eyes as I spoke. I crouched over a little to show submission, moving forward rather than backward to show I was not afraid. Over and over I repeated, I love you, Coco, I love you. And as I said it, I began to feel that love. Finally, I stopped directly in front of her and looked into her deep brown eyes, and I saw her furrowed brow and her enormous hands. I love you, Coco. And with that, she reached out and grabbed me by my balls and looked me right in the eyes after a slight pause in a substantially higher voice. I tried to repeat, I love you, Coco. Obviously, these words had more significance than a few seconds earlier. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. But, but it's, what it's, a voice. It's what an amazing it. guy. <laughs> you know, uh, just he's narrating his own book, and, and, and the stories are incredible. Uh, you got to check he's it amazing. out. He's amazing. He's such a ham. Oh, oh totally. Totally. And uh, just, just picturing him there with, you know, the thing cupping his balls and him saying, I love you. I, I would I would have paid, like, you know, concert ticket price to see that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the high note. <laughs> That's amazing. Hey, I have a book. If you guys uh, want, just want me to just uh, plug that. Yeah. What do you got? Yeah. What do you got? Um. So this is a a, a forerunner to Star Trek, and by Russian authors. And oh, hang seldom, on, hang on. Is it a yeah, science fiction? Well, here we go. Science yeah. fiction. We got to do this properly for you. There you go. Oh, yeah. And it's, <laughs> and it's one of my favorite books because it's one of the forerunners to Star Trek, but also to Ian Banks' culture series, who drew inspiration from these guys. It's called Noon 22nd Century by the Strogatsky brothers. Uh, and they were Russian science fiction authors. One of them is still alive. They also are the guys who penned um, Roadside Picnic, also known as. Um, Stalker by Andrei Tarkovsky, one of the greatest movies ever made. Um, and this is about the post-scarcity society on Earth uh, in the 22nd century. It, it was not widely distributed in the USSR because, um, well, it, it, science fiction does not, uh, let's say, repressive regimes do not accommodate science fiction very much. Sorry, but what was the title of that book again? Noon 22nd Century by the Strugatsky brothers. Ah, yes, yes, uh, yes. Arkady and Boris Strugatsky. They're fundamental. They're amazing. It's it's the Star Trek, it's the world of Star Trek from the other side of the Iron Curtain, written as a series of short stories between 1960 and 1962. It's very hard to tell whether uh, Roddenberry heard of them 
before the first series, but he definitely heard of them uh, while making The Next Generation because it's Theodore Sturgeon who published them um, in the United States. And if you remember, Theodore Sturgeon is Grandmaster of Science Fiction. He's also the guy who penned Amok Time, the episode where you see yes. for the first time the Vulcan salute. Right, right. Yes. <laughs> so he's part of the Star Trek family. He is. And uh, uh, yeah, the Strugatsky brothers are just, they're a bit like Asimov, um, uh, who was also Russian. Uh, so, I mean, emigre, but Russian. So, yes. Please, please, please. It's available on Amazon, like as a paperback. It hasn't been, it, you can find it secondhand. It costs nothing. And it's so sublime for fans of science fiction. If you want to uh, um, see where Ian Banks' amazing work comes from and part of the inspiration, it's right there. Yeah, and thanks yeah. for reminding Speaking of pivotal Star Trek episodes like A Mock Time, uh, The City at the ed ah. Edge of Forever. Uh, I, I just ah, finished yes. uh, the, the new. Uh, audio drama slash uh, meditation oh, yes. on the script by uh, Harlan Ellison and the crew at Skyboat Media. Really enjoyed that. Um, Amazing. It, you know, uh, I, that's one episode that always, it always bothered me that, that Spock was the love interest of the lady because <laughs> that made no sense to me. And I, I always just figured that, well, maybe it was just early in the series and they hadn't really uh, figured out that, you know, Spock was emotionless at that point or... Uh, you know, maybe they were just, you know, playing with the character, but it never made sense that it was Spock having that love affair. And, and then you, you go and read the original script by Harlan Ellison. It was a wonderful story. Uh, yes. And it was Kirk who was in love, which made more sense. And Spock was the logical one telling him, you know, uh, you know, space time mm -hmm. continuum, yada, yada, yada. But uh, we're going to be talking with Gabrielle DeCure when she uh, joins us in a couple of weeks. To talk oh, about wow. that. Maybe we can get uh, Harlan Ellison to join as well. Um, we'll see. Um, let's do some film and television while we're here. Why not? I'll have to do book news. Book news. I know we're running late, uh, Craig. You probably got to get yeah. up in like five hours, but uh, let's 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 do some <laughs> quick book news. This is your your story, and I just want to remind the folks that uh, we're picking all our book news stories straight from BookGuys.ca, where you'll find our new subreddit. So if you if you post a story there, we will choose the best ones and talk about them right here, including this one. Go ahead, uh, Mr. Craig. Amazon gives app developers what? The uh, well, like a simplified way of making choose-your-own-adventure on Alexa or uh, Echo. I guess they call it Amazon Echo. Alexa is the one that uh, then takes you through the choose-your-own-adventure uh, app or or whatever whatever you've built. Right. Uh, and I think there's there's already one on there uh, that's been on Alexa for a long time. And they help develop that uh, this simplified structure. I'm not a programmer, so I don't know. How yeah, exactly well, how to let me give it. you a little <laughs> a little uh, insight into that. Uh, for them to call it simplified, simplified for programmers. So for most of you listening at home, this is a tool that programmers are going to use. Uh, believe me, if you can even install this app to to start working on your own choose your own adventure, you probably are a programmer. I looked through the instructions. Believe me. Yeah. Uh, but th what this means is that. Uh, programmers are going to start working on these uh, and uh, basically you end up uh, with a how does it work Craig it, it's a choose your own that you talk to Alexa yep yeah you just she will she'll read you something or you know and then make a comment and and I I said I like I like the concept and I've tried the one that's on there but my problem is Alexa's too slow she I can live with her 
accent, for lack of a better uh, word, the way she can't always pronounce words. But the, the pacing for her is just too slow because by the time she gets re- done reading one section, right. you fo- you've forgotten how it started. But I, I'm, and, I'm, I'm pretty and, sure that's a, like uh, that's a intentional. It's kind of like when I'm talking really slowly because I'm looking for a jingle. <laughs> I think they make her speak slower because it'll give time for the computer inside the unit to actually find the information you asked. You know, so while right. she's saying the weather is, that's when she's actually looking it up, right? Right. So, yeah, so exactly. she's vamping. She's vamping for information. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there could be some fun stuff done with this, but although they don't let you change Alexa's voice, but I could imagine like a Major Barrett voice on it. I know? really want to hear a <laughs> podcast. That's the podcaster talking to Alexa. <laughs> yes. I think that would be so awesome. <laughs> Alexa, subscribe to Book Ice Show podcast. Awesome. We just got more, yes. sub- we just got more subscribers. <laughs> <laughs> we cheat that way every week. <laughs> All right, let's do some. Uh, that's, uh, that'll be fun. Anyways, uh, choose your own adventure spoken really slowly to you. Books on film and television. Let's wrap it up with some talk. We're gonna, we have to do it because Manu's here. Now we have to talk about the, uh-huh. the online only Star Trek well, series. Wait, wait, wait. The premiere <laughs> is going to air on CBS Fantastic. on network, and then it will go online. So what we know about it really is it's called Star Trek Discovery. They did have a few pictures of the ship up for a while. Uh, we know it's going to be a female lead, but the lead <coughs> is not the captain. Sorry. Yes. So, so and, the uh, main character. Brian Fuller went on the Television Association critique uh, critics. Uh, you know, whatever meetup on Wednesday, and he gave out all this. It was an info dump for advertisers, basically. Right. So uh, it's going to be 10 years before the original series. Uh, there's going to be a female lead. There's going to be a gay character. And uh, it's going to focus on the crew more than focusing on the captain. And I think this um, could be fun because, uh, because, because the main character is... Uh, a lower rank, we might get to see more interactions between, you know, the average crewman, you know, the, the, yes. w- the, them eating together. Because in Star Trek, we're used to seeing, you know, the captain, the captain's table. And, you know, the shenanigans that go on, like in the mess hall, are probably a lot different than the ones that are happening in the captain's table. One of my yeah, favorite all time episodes is, uh, do you guys remember Lower Decks and Next Generation 7th season, which is all about crewmen? That's right. fantastic because you see how they live. Yeah. Um, well, I was going to say the other, the best peak we've had at that was the Next Generation's Poker Night. You know that because yeah. until the, right. what, the last episode, the captain never plays poker mm-hmm. with them, and and that was kind of them relaxed. And right. even though they were still all the senior staff, mm-hmm. at least it was a peak. And then they had Stephen Hawking and Einstein. <laughs> you know <what laughs> right. I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and the, and if you remember in the the last penultimate last 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 no last episode, all good things. The last twenty seconds is the captain coming to the poker table. I said I should have come here long ago. And spoilers! Like, spoilers! Right. Spoilers! Oh come on, we've all seen it, <laughs> and it's very emotional because they're all like, you know, this seat was always open for you, and so it's like, yeah, I, yeah, 
I, I, oh, I get all emotional when I think about that. But yeah, I mean, the, the new series is going to be, you know, you know who's writing on it. It's, it's Nicholas Mayer. This is the guy who wrote uh, Wrath of Khan and the Wales movie. Yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Country. They picked the right guy for sure. I mean, he's, this is going to be action-packed and adventure and scary. And uh, it's going to be more Horatio Hornblower. In space, it, it sounds like they're they're gonna do give it the Battlestar Galactica treatment, you know, like a little bit grittier. There might be a little bit of uh, dust and grime on some of the starships. There might be some very bad stuff happening. Uh, they might not behave very well. That's <laughs> that's uh, that's the kind of stuff I, you know, I was at the Star Trek convention in Vegas last week, and that's what the rumors were like. It's going to be a lot of Starfleet officers behaving badly. Yeah, st strange things uh, happening in those uh, Jeffrey tubes. Yes. <laughs> it's exciting. I mean, it's, it's a new Star Trek series. It's always exciting. It's always exciting. Oh, and it's, honestly, the, the, the crew they assembled to actually write this thing and produce this thing. It's a dream team. Just, <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's a dream come. I mean, for all the fans, it's a dream come true. Brian Fuller is... is Brian Fuller. I mean, like, short of, you know, getting Seth MacFarlane to come and, you know, uh, actually, you know, run the show like Brian Fuller is the best person to do it. Um, and Seth MacFarlane, by the way, is also producing right now a show uh, that's going to be a spoof of Star Trek that's called Orville, and it's about the the ship in Starfleet. Uh, so it's not going to be in Starfleet, but it's kind of you know, where it's the ship that's not that. The, good. the only thing so, disappointing <laughs> about all of this for me is that they've already announced that. Uh, uh, after the uh, the premiere episode, it's going to be in Canada, anyways, uh, streaming through Bell Netflix. Media, which uh, I thought it was on Netflix, wasn't it? Like no, it's Netflix is going to be uh, internationally, but on the U.S. it's going to be on CBS's own streaming site, whatever that means, yes. and in Canada CBS through Bell access. Media. Yes. I can tell you, I, I have the right to to watch it through the Bell Media site, which I won't even name here. But uh, yes. I am not sitting through the same pharmaceutical ad 53 times to watch one episode. I, I will uh, be watching it in other means, even though I legally... And uh, let us not watch. explain how to get to that because, <laughs> no. you know, I mean, the, the, yes, <laughs> I will be getting my subscription to CBS All Access because I want my writer friends to be paid. There you go. Um, well, like I said, I, I, do, I, do I could watch work. it on the bell. I could watch it I mean, on the bell, but I'd rather not. <laughs> yeah, I, I get it. They're still getting uh, paid. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. It, it, yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, it's a, yeah, that's true. Um, uh, you know, I mean, I, I figure if I if I can watch it legally, like on my HBO subscription, for example, yeah. and but uh, for some reason I can't. You know, if I'm going to the cottage, I'm I'm it's okay if I, you know, bring a copy of it up. I paid for it. <laughs> just just no internet at the cottage. Just saying. We will. Uh, <laughs> We'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> hey, let's just end off by uh, Star Wars 2. Uh, Entertainment president Channing Dungy uh, has let it out of the bag that there's going to be a Star Wars live action uh, TV show yes. as well. It, uh, do you guys remember? It had been in the works. Lucasfilm had written like 40 episodes. Uh, and that's what they're, and it, it, that's what they're going to do. It's well, like they're, the they're, underworld. Yeah, uh, they're probably taking all this time now that Disney bought uh, Lucasfilm to remove Jar Jar Binks from every episode. Oh, God. And <laughs> I mean, Disney, they're so amazing. I wish Disney would take over Star Trek, honestly, because Disney, like, once they take property like that, they're really serious I want, about I want Disney it. to and buy everything. Buy Disney, buy, uh, buy DC, 
Make a, make a good <laughs> Justice League movie. Buy Star Wars, Star Trek, buy them all. Yeah, but you know why? <laughs> because here in Los Angeles, Disney can attract the best talent because this is a company that's built on talent and they respect talent and people Absolutely. want to work for Disney. All my writer friends, like their dream job is to work for Disney because Disney treats you well. And Disney gives you the space to do what you want and, and knows that it's creative people who actually make the business. Hey, I think uh, we should, we should uh, round it out right there, Craig. We should end on, on this note here of hail Disney. No, no. Hail Disney. No, no, I mean, no, I'm just saying, look what they did with Star Wars and look at, oh, absolutely. did you see the trailer for Rogue One? I mean, this R Rogue is One amazing. Is, it's the prequel that we should have got. I mean, uh, yes, it's fantastic. Exactly. It looks great. Absolutely no. Yeah, I'm, and, I'm, I'm, and if anyone from Disney is listening, yes, the book guys is for sale. Yes. Ah, <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> Love you guys. Live long and prosper. That's right. Live long and <laughs> prosper. Um, uh, Manu, why don't you uh, repeat again before we go uh, where folks can find you? So at Treconomics on Twitter. And you can uh, Google Treconomics and you will be directed to Amazon.com and it will be available as an e uh, as an audiobook on August 16th and probably zero dollar for your trial. And Mr. Craig, you don't have to uh, text me, Craig. I was going to ask you to plug your podcast too, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just want to remind everyone of my uh, other podcast, Launchpad Problems, lpp.soapboxrocket.com. LPP! In the house. All right. And you can find us all at bookguys.ca, our new subreddit. And you can follow us through uh, BookGuys on Twitter. And on that account, we have, I believe, all of our names listed. You can find us all there. And hopefully Manu will have you back sometime soon. Oh, I'd love to. This is fantastic. I, I need someone to talk Trek and Star Wars with. Oh, yeah. I'm there, <laughs> man. <laughs> okay, my friend. Uh, I think I'm going to press the button, Craig. Push it. <laughs> I hit the wrong button. Uh, where is end theme? Oh, that's because I'm on the wrong page on my jingle machine. All right. Here. <laughs> I'll see you next week, Craig. Same book time. Yeah. Have a, uh, have a good night. You too, same, my friend. May the force be with you. <laughs> Live long and prosper. May the force live long. Stay tuned, book readers and book listeners. Book Guys Show will return next week. Same book time, same book channel. Oh, Hunter S. Thompson having a gunfight with his neighbors. <laughs> He's like shooting at the guy. Uh, Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. We're uh, good people. We're good people. Yeah, he's like, he's like, he's like giving her. Yeah, it's a good place. Here we are in the middle of it, right up on the mountain. He like reloads once place. or twice during the video. Over here. And shoot at me, well, he may or may not have been crazy. Yeah. It's up there. <laughs> he thought a bunch of used car dealers from Southern California. The market says you have to be a player. <laughs> See you next week, Craig. <laughs> Gotta See be a player. <laughs>